Down the Tanami, along the Plenty in Scarborough, Cundabung and Wenty, they ring to talk to Macca. So Ian, what are you doing in Wawa? You live there? No, Wawa is a very small town. It's got a bush nursing centre. My wife and I are both GPs and we come over here from Adelaide three or four times a year usually to look after the medical centre. We are locums and my wife says... Why don't you ring Mac? And here you are. Here we are. I can hear the I can hear the rain on the on the phone box. <laughs> yeah. I can hear it. Pitter pitter pitter. It's not a proper big phone box, is it? Yeah, it's a proper phone box. So yeah. you're inside. I'm I'm inside. Oh yeah. wow. We've been doing locums for years. We're right at the end of our practicing career, mm. and in fact, we're retiring at the end of this month. Don't be too hasty, Ian. <laughs> We've got a shortage of doctors apparently. Uh, Tell us about it. The bureaucratic process that we're obliged to go through now has just got too much for us and we said, right, that's enough. Yeah, I can understand that's the same everywhere. It's got beyond a joke, really. Well, thanks for ringing us from a phone box, especially when it's raining. Oh, that's OK. It's actually quite comfy in here. I go, Macca. Bye. Makers or dodging leather undertakers, it's Macca's Magic Mix on Sunday mornings. Yeah, Macca in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. There's Aussies out there doing things, raising money, pulling strings, helping make a place we're really proud of. Launcestonians and Hobartians, and who's to say there isn't Martians beaming up Australia on Sunday mornings? My week starts with Macca on Sunday morning. Good morning and welcome. That was Ian in the phone box this morning. He was a... A doctor, a locum. We we had a couple of lovely calls this morning. We've heard a lot. Every calls uh, I loved, but Carl was a medical student. I'll replay that sometime uh, in the podcast. Always listen to the podcast, and if you miss a if you miss something on the program or if you've heard about it, you'll usually find it uh, if you go back to the podcast from the week, and you can get podcasts forever, sort of thing. Uh, they'll you might find it in the podcast. Not everything is in the from the program is in the podcast, but uh, there you go. And also. Um, we spoke spoke to Jackie, heading north. They're heading north. They're from Wang, and Michelle was heading south from Brisbane to Ballarat. Uh, three degrees. Ballarat can be cool. It's been cool, hasn't it? Cool, but it is winter, and it's uh, and it's yes, it's interesting. Time to sit on a beach somewhere, a lonely beach somewhere. We're going to talk to you wherever you are, all around the place. In a little while, we'll talk about cricket, um, but not what you think. Uh, <laughs> And uh, this one, the All Over News, uh, Why I Live Where I Live, all the little beautiful things, lovely letters. 1300 700 222 is our number. You can also ring 028 1020. So 1020 with 02 in front of that. Or, uh, yeah, that'll do you. Macatracks at gmail.com. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Oh, hi, Macca. It's Michelle here. I'm just calling from my taxi. I'm heading home from a day at um, Royal Ascot. Oh, in London? Yes, in London. Calling all the way from London. (laughs) And you're in the taxi. I've always wanted to call you and I've never had any... I always hear these amazing people calling from these amazing places and I think I'd like to call Macca one day but I'm finally um, the right day and the right time at the right place. I thought, well, this is... uh, 
worthy of a call to Massa. I'll say, Michelle, you're in a taxi. Uh, yeah, why do you yes. go to Ascot? Are you a, are you a horse person? You punter? I or? I like the horses. I'm look. I I'm interested in just going and having fun with my friends. But um, a friend of mine had a horse racing today in um, the third uh, third race, I think. Um, his name was Artorius, and he um, came a very good fourth today. Oh, right. Favorite. Um, so it was very exciting to go in. Um, I was actually heading over with my daughter to Croatia, and he called me a couple of days ago and saying, why don't you just come over and watch this, um, this you know, watch from Royal Ascot today? And so I thought, yep, I changed my trip and changed the, the flights and went to London instead of um, uh, Rome. And so here I am for a couple of, for two or three days here with my I left her in the hotel room and I went out to Royal Ascot for the day. Now, now how did the king it, and queen? So, how did the astrologist go? Did uh, the astrologist run? Did that do any good? That's an Australian horse, wasn't it? No, it, uh, he, he ran today. Yes, um, Artorius, his name was. Yeah, I know Artorius was in, but there was also yep. a horse in the same race called the Astrologist, and I think he was from. I I didn't pay any attention to any other <laughs> horse. I only had my eyes on uh, Artorius. We were cheering him on from the sidelines. There you go. And it was so much fun. Well, so. you remind me of our earlier caller, Jackie, and she was heading north because she says life's too short not to do nice things. So they're heading north for because they come from Wang, which is just at the foot of the Alps, and it gets cold down there. So for the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years, they've decided to take, you know, life's too short not to do nice things now and again. So I, I'd put being in a taxi uh, on the way home from Ascot into into that category too, Michelle. Well, I, yeah, it was a pretty good day, I must tell you. Yeah, I'll Great bet. day, beautiful weather, lots of great people and lots of, you know, fun fashion and everything, a full day of racing. And we got to go in the royal enclosure and see all the fancy people and have some nice champagne. And uh, we had a picnic lunch, a car park lunch before we went out to the track. So it was a full day. See, why don't we? Why aren't we all doing this, Michelle? Why aren't we all doing, we drinking we, champagne? Well, everyone and... should get out to the races. I know that you like the races, Macca. So well, we've it's... got to encourage everyone to go out there. And I mean, there's a lot of good things come out of horse racing, and the, a lot of the, most of the horses, 99.9 percent of the horses, are treated like absolute. That's what Bart used, Bart used to say that to me when, we, when I talked to Bart from time to time, Bart Cummings. He'd say, yeah, yeah. he said they're completely spoiled. And re- remember that horse that, that went, went out on the track and it wouldn't walk forward, it only walked backwards because <laughs> they're just, they're completely spoiled and, and, and they're pretty bright, you know, they're pretty intelligent horses. And I think, well, no, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to play up here because I'm, I'm in charge here. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, but it's a lovely thing to do. It's the people, isn't it? It's that whole thing. Oh, and, absolutely. The and whole a, thing, yeah. And after the world's been through the last three years and you can still see what's going on in in Russia and the Ukraine and that's terrible. It's just, it gives a bad pull to everybody. And, Michelle, you need to, we all need to go to Ascot. We, I wish we were all in the back uh, of the absolutely. cab with you. Yes, exactly. It was, uh, it was a, as I said to my daughter, who um, she was very happy not to... Uh, me out for the day. She was going, Mum, it's a once in a lifetime experience. You go and have fun. So I did. And I'll spoil her tomorrow. Exactly. So, Michelle, um, when you're in Australia, what do you uh, get up to? Um, work. I work for um, a flight attendant, oh, international wow. hostie. So that's why I get to go um, change my flights pretty easily and, you know, change from Rome to London pretty easily. So I'm a little bit um, fortunate in that regard. 
And I noted the other day where I was reading that there'll be a soon there'll be a non-stop flight from uh, Australia to London. There will. I hope they don't make me do that one. I'm getting a little bit too old for that. I'll leave that for the younger crew. Well, you you get do you get to sleep on those sort of things or just sit? Oh, you do. You get a um you get a bunk on those ones and you can have a few hours crew rest and they're pretty comfy. Yeah. But um still a little bit too far for me these days. Yeah. I'm quite happy to do my um flights to Sydney to Asia, Manila. Um just very local. What I call local, Singapore, Manila, Jakarta and the occasional Honolulu. That's yeah. about as far as I like to go these days. When I was, you know, 20 years ago when I first started, 25 years ago now, I used to love doing the trips up to Rome and Paris and London. But, you know, now I've got kids at home, so I don't like to go too far. Well, you're going out in the town tonight, tonight now, isn't it, in, uh, in London? So you've... It is, but absolutely not. I'm shattered. <laughs> <laughs> I, only, I only arrived yesterday morning. And um, so yesterday morning, I went and bought a, a dress and a, a, it's all a whole different ball game over here. And a fast... so I went and bought a dress and a hat and everything. And then, um, yep, t- totally unprepared when I got on the aircraft yesterday <laughs> or the day before. But I got there today. There was nothing stopping me from going out there today. Michelle, I'm glad uh, you rang and it's lovely to talk to you. Good on you. Okay, thanks. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You too. How would you like to be in the taxi coming back from Ascot races? Yeah, I think uh, the astrologist, I noted, I had a look at the at the fields for that king stand and I think uh, I think the astrologist was in it too. But, um, yeah, didn't see what uh, what happened. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Yeah, g'day, Macca. It's Tom Kelly uh, touching base with you. I'm up at Edinburgh in Scotland with the Australian steering team at the... Um, World Championships. Oh, wow. Yeah, I heard they were on, Tom. Um, the gold shears and uh, shearing and wool handling, that's on. That's on in Scotland, in Edinburgh, is it? Yeah, we're in the thick of it at the minute up here at Edinburgh, yeah. And how is? what do you do, uh, Tom? Are you a shearer or a handler or what? I'm, a, I'm up here to manage the team. Is my current position up here at the moment, so... Yeah, we've um, so we've had a pretty pretty successful few days. So we um, we're down to the finals tomorrow, and we've managed to sneak a couple of Australians through. We've got a blade shearer, John Della from South Australia, who's um, who's uh, still in the still in the mix. He'll shear in the semi-final to try and make his way into the final um, tomorrow afternoon, and. Um, Got a wool handler, uh, Rachel Hutchins from Gilgandra in New South Wales. So she's um, she's uh, made her way through, and she's she's still in the thick of it. So both of them will compete in a semi-final for a place in a final for a world title tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, Tom, that's very exciting. Tell me this: they've got a sheer Scottish sheep. Obviously, you don't you don't take your sheep with you, do you? You've got a Scottish sheep, and I bet that has its problems too, does it? Oh, yeah, it does. It does. Look, we, yeah, our two machine shearers, um, uh, Daniel McIntyre and Nathan Meany, you know, they've, gee, they've, yeah, really had a crack. And it's a red hot, the competition's just, 
it's um it's gone to another level up here this world competition so they both unfortunately eliminated out today we um um just just out of it they're um um they've taken 12 into the semi-final in the morning and our two boys are um i think they were 15th and 17th so we're hoping they might have taken 18 18 through but um just the 12 and yeah look gee they've um them two boys worked really hard they've uh yeah really really shown a lot of heart didn't have a lot of luck so the scottish um they've shown scottish mules and um blackface uh highland scottish sheep and um some cheviots today see and, um, when i think about australian sheep now and merinos they are huge. They are a big sheep, um, but um, Australians are obviously used to shearing big, big sheep. What are the Scottish sheep? Are they smaller? What's the story? Very wiry wool or what? Yeah, big enough. Yeah, they're crossbred like they're British bred strong wool sheep and um, plenty of fizz in them. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, um, got a, plenty of fight and fizz in them and, um, yeah, in that... In that uh, that world, world environment. So they sh- and, that, um, and the shearers from everywhere there, Tom. Is there from all over the world? Yeah, yeah there's 30 countries have um, got teams in here. So, um, yeah, virtually everywhere, anywhere where there's sheep and shearing competitions, and um, yeah, no, they've they've been big enough and fizzy enough these sheep to handle. You know, we, uh, as I say, the boys, yeah, gee, really. Sure, with a lot of heart and not a lot of luck, we we drew a couple of bigger sheep. And um, there's an odd bear belly coming through there yesterday in the Scottish mules, and our lads sort of couldn't find one, you know. That's just the luck of the draw, isn't it? Oh, well, exactly. That's what happens, mate. It can happen, yeah. So we're um, – but, yeah, as I say, our blade, John Dello, he's um, South Australian, our blade shearer, he's – He's in pretty good form, and Rachel Hutchins is pretty comfortable. She's she's come through the rounds, and so we've just got everything crossed up here tonight that we, we'd love to take a world champion back to Australia with us next week. Well, good luck with all that, Tom, and uh, nice to talk to you from Edinburgh, um, and uh, you're representing the Oz really well. Where are you, where are you from, Tom? I'm from Kilmore in central Victoria. All right. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you. Say, say g'day to all the uh, uh, Aussies there and good luck to you all. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. How are you going? This is Carl calling in from Blackhall. G'day, Carl. What's happening? Well, mate, I'm a, a medical student and I just happen to be out here with the Heart of Australia Next Gen Medic program. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that's a, a program which uh, is based around bringing specialist uh, medical and allied health services to uh, rural and remote communities. And um, it's just so happens that they uh, run a program called Next Gen Medics and, and that allows 20 students in um, this year to be able to get out to some of these more remote communities and, and see what it's like to provide uh, health services, but um, also gives us an opportunity to get out here and actually meet the people. Well, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. How long you've been out there for how long? 
So this is, I think, about the eighth day, and it's a 10-day total. And um, we actually started out from Brisbane and headed to Dolby first. Um, this was one of the trips. They actually split the students into two groups. And then we all, the other group went to, uh, to Emerald. And then we reconvened in a little town called Theodore um, in Queensland. Nice and uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful town and even better people. And um, and then from there, we've made our way out here to Blackhall. And I can't actually determine exactly where I am in town, but I believe I'm beyond the black stump at the, the exact <laughs> moment that I'm calling. So, um, yeah, and the other group, they headed to Stanthorpe. So, Carl, is the idea about uh, this to maybe encourage medical students to practice in, in the country or, you know, you just uh, it's just part of your training? No, Maka, you're spot on. Um, this is this is something actually run outside of the universities, and um, so Heart of Heart of Australia are, are a private organisation, and and like I said, they de- they developed um, these these specially made uh, heart trucks, um, and they're custom designed, and essentially it's just a clinic on wheels, and um, and so they they bring specialists out from the cities, um, and you know to these communities. And, um, yeah, they decided, you know what, um, the best way to try and get more people on board in the future would be to have students along. And it's, um, it's certainly something that, you know, at uni it's, it's impressed upon us, but sometimes at the end of the day that's just a lot of talk and it's, a, it's about, you know, well, how am I actually going to get out there and see these people? Um, and that's what Heart of Australia decided to do. They said, you know what, we're going to um, work out how to, you know, to get a bunch of students out here and, and actually see it. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an extracurricular. Um, but from my understanding, it's, it's one of the biggest contributors to actually getting people and uh, health practitioners out into the bush is, is exposure as a student. Um, it's sometimes, you know, once you've, you've got your ticket and you're already working, it's actually a little bit harder to get people out. And so that's kind of something that they're, they're, they're um, you know, bringing this along with. And, and that was started by a fellow called Dr. Rolf Gomes. So he had a vision to do that. And, you know, funnily enough, he, he got that vision as a, as a more junior doctor and, and then as a consultant, um, yeah, decided to make it happen. Carl, tell me this. Why did you uh, want to do med? I mean, I always think it's interesting. Why did you want to do med? Well, mate, I'm actually a physio by my initial background, um, and I and I really enjoyed that. And I, I work at a, I still still work on the weekends um, at a hospital in in Brisbane. And mate, it just got to a point where, and, you know, I wanted to really be able to help people at a, at, a, at a higher level than what I could do as a physio. Um, and you know that that culminated in, in needing a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more skill. Um, you know, physio physio is a fantastic. Uh, profession, but as with anything, we all we all have limits. Um, so that yeah, that really drove me to go back. Um, that and a, a genuine interest in in medical practice. Um, and then yeah, and then I combine that with you know wanting you know enjoying working with people and and seeing them get better. It's pretty rewarding. Yeah, you sound like you're you're, you're enjoying it. What about the other students? Are they um, taken aback or are they embracing it? What do you think their their thoughts are? No, mate, they're they're all in. There's a there's a saying going around on our little tour about cowboy up, which kind of fits uh, with the theme of, of being out here. And they're actually from all over Australia too. It's it's not just um, students from Queensland. You know, we've had some hail from Moree and Cowra to Tasmania, a little place called Burnie, um, to people from Victoria. Morning, yep. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the Gold Coast. Um, 
all over and it's not just medical students either we have a nursing and midwifery student um, and we have nutrition and dietetics and they've loved it mate um, I think for, for some it's their first trip out into to western Queensland um, and no everyone's all in and you know for me luckily I'd, I'd been out here with my old boy we um we have a passion for riding adventure motorcycles which are kind of fits in to the theme of the fellow that called in before about dirt bikes and and we've we've been lucky to get out here and, and visit these places on a bike oh how good's that um well carl yeah good luck is all i can say so but you're nearly finished what in a couple of days yeah, yeah. So we're we're in and for our second day in in Blackpool. Um, we're just out near the uh, the showground, and then yeah, tomorrow we will head around to kind of a a sheep station, um, and then it's a couple of little flights. And I think probably one of you know the big things about being out here is just impressed upon you just the distances. You know, you can you can cover you know essentially seven hours of driving west in Queensland, and you're still not even halfway across the state. Um, <laughs> so it's going to take us a, a couple of little flights to actually get back to Brisbane. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a really, really, really a rewarding kind of experience. Um, like I said, you know, sometimes the the places in in Western Queensland speak for themselves, but um, when you actually get to meet the people and and see what it means to them when people that come out and, and actually want to be involved in their care, that's something that I think really sticks with you. And I, without, without going too far into the true statistics, you know, I think it's important for listeners because it was something that was impressed upon us, you know, just, just by living in a rural remote area, you know, you're 44% more likely to die of a heart attack and yeah. 70% more likely to die from heart failure and 31% more likely to die from a stroke and something that, you know, we learn in medical school and, across other yeah. kind of degrees is a lot of, you know, that is preventable. And, you know, these, these people out here shouldn't have to suffer from diseases just through lack of access to care. Exactly. And, and, I, and I think ultimately, mate, that's, that's why it's hard of Australia is to, you know, to, to bring that kind of care and, and preventative medicine, you know, to people who really deserve it. You know, they're the kind of exactly. salt of the earth kind of people and, you know, people that, you know, really contribute to the nature of Australia. Well, we've been talking, we often get uh, GPs and locums calls from all over the place and everybody mm. deserves good health care. I mean, it's the most important. We talk about all other sorts of things, but if you're not healthy, you know, you might as well just forget it, you know. So uh, yeah. the, the nation's health is the most important thing. Carl, you keep in, in touch, if you would, and it's lovely to talk to you, mate. Yeah, no, thank you, Mac. I appreciate uh, getting on and, and being able to have a chat. Good on you, mate. See ya. No, mate. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Jackie and Glenn, uh, well, they, they'll tell us. Where are you, Jackie, Glenn? Hi, Macca. We are, we're from Langarada, but we've just passed Holbrook. We're on the Hume Freeway. We've got it to ourselves, and I think we're about 15 minutes away from a beautiful sunrise. And what are you doing, uh, Jackie? Uh, we're escaping the high country. <laughs> I heard the other chap mention that he's up there with the snow where that's our backyard, which we love for three seasons of the year. But we're heading to uh, southeast Queensland for eight weeks uh, oh. to be by the ocean and just to enjoy 20 degrees, not uh, two. Not two <laughs> degrees, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, it's a big we, difference, isn't it? Yeah, we do love um the Victorian high country is our backyard and we are road cyclists and we walk and we love climbing Mount Buffalo and um, the chap mentioned 
Feathertop and Mount Hotham and Falls Creek. It's it's such a beautiful area, um, but uh, we just like to give the space to the people who like to ski and head north. We've been doing this for the last decade. Oh, and listening to you, every we've been saying every year, every year <laughs> when no one else is up, we say we should call Macca. <laughs> and so this is the year. <laughs> well, good on you. That's what I want to do, actually, because I'm... I'm over the coal already, <laughs> and my house is like an icebox. I'm, I've, I've got a uh, thing that I'm not going to turn heaters on this this year. I don't care because of the price of it's my protest about uh, the price of electricity. So I'm just rugging up yeah. with beanies and all that sort of stuff, which is yeah. fine. But, but yeah, I long to be sitting on a beach somewhere and when it's yeah. tw- twenty degrees and having a quick swim and then sitting in the sun. Beautiful. Yeah, you always know the Victorians in southeast Queensland in July. They're the only ones that get in the water. (laughs) (laughs) It should be beautiful. So we just wanted to say hi. Glenn, my partner, um, remembers listening to you. He says for decades, he said, I'm a long-term listener and a first-time caller today. So you are talked about every year that we um, migrate north, so, every year. <laughs> good on you. Are you going to what, the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast or what? Uh, we go to Burley Head, so the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, we were very fortunate through COVID. We actually still got our holidays in. We did either northern New South Wales. My dad um, grew up in Wollongbar, so I knew that we could go to Cabarita Beach and Kingscliff. I had some local knowledge so through COVID, we got to the northern um, New South Wales oh, when we dear. couldn't get into Queensland, and then Queensland when we couldn't get into New South Wales. So it's <laughs> every year it's like we're supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, it, it, you'll have a lovely yeah. you'll have a lovely time, Jackie, and uh, yeah, you, you fill everybody yeah. else with wanderlust. We all should be heading north. That's what you're supposed to well, do. Heading. We think our we we still work, but we take some leave without pay, and we think we live simple lives. And we say if we can do it, anyone can do it. And actually, since COVID, we've extended out the time that we go because we think life's precious, nothing given. So enjoy every day, and we ride our bikes there. We actually we drive up, but we ride mountain bikes or road bikes the whole time that we're there from one end of the Gold Coast to the other. It's magnificent. Simple, simple. Well, yeah, it's a hard lesson to learn, living life, you know, um, and doing exactly what you're doing, but good on you. I think a lot more people are going to do it, including me. Oh, lovely. We'll see you on the Goldie. Okay. Good, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, good. Stay warm. Thanks, Jackie. Good on you. Okay, Bye. Bye. See you, Glenn. Bye. Bye. It was a great interest. I saw this little story that uh, they're about to auction in, in Melbourne, I think, uh, the rather extensive cricket collection of your father, Alan Davidson. Um, tell me about, uh, he died last October. Yeah, uh, uh, two years ago. Two years yeah, ago yeah. in two, t- uh, 2021. Yeah. And um, that takes place uh, June 28th to June the 30th at Mount Waverley in yeah. Melbourne. Tell me about Alan Davidson, the collector. <laughs> well, it, it was bordering on hoarding, I think, Macca. Um, <laughs> we, uh, when he, just before he passed away, I started to... Uh, uh, have a look at the collection, and uh, there was a double garage at the backyard, full. Mm. Um, there was two bedrooms, full, <laughs> and he'd never let me go in and have a look at them. Um, he was pretty possessive about them, but he never looked at them either. Yeah. You know, so. Um, but that's the thing with hoarding, because yeah. I know some people. I, I've got a friend, and I said, uh, and I, I had some records for sale, or not for sale. I was going to give them away. 
And I said, does so-and-so want them? And his mother said, no, no way. This room's full, that room's full. The yeah. marriage could be on the rocks because every every room, and that's so. You reckon Alan was a bit of a hoarder too? I think he? I think he bordered on that. He uh, he he loved people and he loved collecting um, autographs, and that was from a very young age. Um, when I was going through the collection, I could find scrapbooks uh, from obviously he was getting photos out of wheat bix packets and that sort of thing, gluing them in his scrapbooks. And the funny thing was, he was out in the middle of nowhere. He's at Lizaro. Lizaro in the 30s was, uh, was, it was Bush. Mm. And he was on his own. um, And he had a great uh, range of uncles who were all fantastic cricketers. Paddy Clifton, his grandfather, who taught him how to play. Uh, He was a wonderful cricketer. Came in from, uh, he was a timber cutter. Came in on the weekends and played cricket. Broke all records in the Central Coast. Um, and Dad, when he was eight years old, he showed him a photo of the ship going to England uh, with the Australian cricket team, and he said, Pa, I'm going to be on that on that boat when he was eight years old. <laughs> wow. And he's sitting in the middle of nowhere. And when I was going through these things, I, I saw these photos that he was collecting when he was about 16, and about two years later he's playing with them, you know, for Australia, second 11, that sort of thing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's a, love, a lovely story. Um, we've got our uh, All Over News coming up. Um, if mm. you can stick around, I'd love to delve into this more because he's great mates, of course, with Neil Harvey, wasn't uh, he? Neil's still, um, Neil's still around. And he, he's my godfather. Is he? Yeah. And yeah. Neil may be listening this morning. I'm not sure. But, I hope um, so. He's yeah, a great friend. Yes. And I remember reading about them and how yeah. great mates they were when they went on Ashes Tour, which is yeah. on at the moment. So it's great memories Fantastic. for everyone. I'll continue talking with Neil Davidson and after the All Over News, which is coming up. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and banks, like the weather, are always in the news. This from Nola Miles-Clark. She says, When I was a child in the 50s, the Commonwealth Bank was an iconic institution. It was the People's Bank. It was revered by our parents. It was helping Australia rebuild confidence after the pain and horror of the Depression and the World War. It was the concrete foundation on which to build their homes, their lives, their dreams, their businesses. I believe the Commonwealth Bank was backed by the government. Bob Menzies was Prime Minister and people just wanted to get on with their lives. The baby boomers grew up and started school. At school, Monday was bank day. We all had our own passbooks and bank clerks would come to the school and set up in the headmaster's office with ink stamps and cotton bags. Class by class, we lined up with our pennies and our passbooks to get them stamped with a bright date stamp and the amount we deposited. We were proud little Australian Vegemite and Wheat Bix kids. One of the earliest sales promotions was an oblong green and gold money box tin, a replica of the Commonwealth Bank head office in town on the corner of Adelaide and Albert Streets on King George Square, opposite the City Hall. Every child had one. There was a narrow slot in the roof in which to insert your coins. It was exciting to rattle the tin to check how much money was in it. It was also impossible to get the coins out once they were deposited. I seem to remember some real angst when we tried to access the money box and had to resort to the tin opener. I think, but I can't remember, that we were presented with our passbooks when we left school as an incentive to start saving. I think, but I can't remember, that I had in the amount of 12 shillings and sixpence in my account at that time. 
When I started work at the age of 16 at the ABC in Penny's building in Adelaide Street, we were paid on a Friday. We lined up at the reception desk at 11am and the accountant handed over a small narrow brown envelope with your name on it, which contained notes and coins. At lunchtime, I'd walk up the street to the Commonwealth Bank and deposit half my earnings. I would be met at the door by the commissionaire, a very handsome ex-soldier with a smart uniform and cap and epaulettes and brass buttons. He would welcome me and respectfully direct me to one of the bank of ten tellers who would accept my deposit and stamp my passbook just like at school. It was very reassuring and very grown up. I felt I was contributing to society, being part of the workforce. Over the years, I progressed through credit unions, checkbooks, house loans, direct debits, online banking, cash point sales, and I am reasonably happy with not having to physically go into the bank these days. But as I'm retired and not driving anymore, I find I'm also in need of cash for incidentals. So I've started hoarding in small denominations for things like a quick trim by the village hairdresser, coffee contributions at the card group, visiting a garage or plant sale. So this week I decided to draw $300 in cash in small denominations to restock my hoard. A simple enough matter. I worked out exactly what I wanted. 350s, 420s, 510s and 45s. I arrived at the bank at 11.05am but I cannot use a cash machine because they do not dispense $5 notes, which I specifically need. I have my debit card and my denomination list in my hand. There are six people ahead of me and one trainee cashier in the booth. He looks about 16. In front of me, there are two old dears with wheelie walkers who obviously can't do online banking. There's a guy with a business check needing wages made up in cash. There's a businessman with $30,000 in cash from his car sales yard, which cannot be deposited in a cash machine because the maximum it takes is $5,000 at a time. And there's me, who needs $5 notes, and two other women whose business I don't know. The oldies tell me there used to be a seat where they could rest while they wait, but this has recently been removed. Two supervisors waft by but cannot help any of us. The security cameras must know we're there, but there seems to be no responsibility for the lack of service. The staff act as if there's nothing they can do, but there is a vacant teller booth, and they all seem to have keys to the strong room, but they all ignore us as clients. Another new arrival on a wheelie walker leaves when she sees the wait queue. I finally make it to the teller. It's taken 35 minutes, which is okay for me. I'm retired, but the businessman behind me has left his office unattended and needs to get back. I finally get my cash, but it's handed to me in a bundle. Shouldn't it be counted out to my hand so I can check the accuracy? That courtesy seems to have vanished. I have to accept that because the cash was dispensed by a computer, it must be correct. On the way back to the car, I reminisce about the days of the Commonwealth Bank Commissionaire and how the value of my money and my patronage has been eroded away and impersonalised to the point of non-existence. How sad. I used to feel like a valued customer. Now I feel like an inconvenient nuisance, says Nola Miles Clark. And she says, Ian, it happened this week at Kiwana on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. And while we're talking about banks, from Bernie Burke, he says, the momentum for a public post office, People's Bank Australia-wide, is growing. The Senate inquiry into bank branch closures is having an impact and forcing people to become more focused on solutions and not to be brainwashed by a banker's dictatorship, says Bernie. I suspect we'll hear more, much more, about bank closures and what they're doing to the fabric of Australia. I know a lot of you travel far and wide. You'll be interested in this report from David Rowe, who emails from time to time. He's on the road. And he says, we're now at Wolf Creek Crater, you've probably been there, just north of Billaluna, having spent the last two nights at Lake Stretch, 
where we indeed had a wonderful celebration. The canning was a wonderful adventure, but certainly didn't feel that remote with the luxury of Starlink and the many other travellers we saw along the way. Our trip a few years ago across the Simpson was much more apprehensive, with larger sand dunes, softer sand and only seeing a couple of other vehicles. This past week, we saw about 40 other vehicles and four motorbikes, self-contained. The going was a bit slow, covering about 80 to 100 kilometres each five-hour day of driving. Love stopping at each well on the Canning Stock Route and checking it out. Most are abandoned and in ruins, but a few have been restored and maintained so we could take on water along the way. This weekend, we've headed for Brookings Spring Station and are going to join the fun at the town rodeo. Wouldn't you love to be there, but see so many people. On the canning and crossing the Simpson, 40 people. It's like Pitt Street. I mentioned Radio Australia last week and this from Trevor Shield. We lived in a remote area of Fiji for nine years in the 70s and relied on Radio Australia to keep us in touch. On a recent trip back there, it was impossible to get Australian news in Lautoka, let alone in La Baza, on the island of Vanu Levu, where we lived. But on many of the remote communities near where we lived, there were satellite dishes supplied by... You guessed it, China. Nearby, there was a bauxite mine, also owned by China. It was interesting to note that when we moved to Alice Springs, where we now live, there was a fuss a few years ago when ABC HF Network was shut down at around the same time as Radio Australia, inconveniencing a lot of us outback travellers. The shutdown was a masterpiece in short-term and inward thinking, says Trevor Scheel. Frankie Lupton says, My mum is running from Perth to Adelaide right now. I've just joined the crew that's supporting my mum who is running to support organisations that assist people experiencing homelessness. My mum, who is a single mother of four kids, 25 to 14-year-olds, and works two jobs to keep the house and is deaf, has spent the last two years training and preparing for this run. She's all heart, but not very good at promoting herself. She started the run on the 21st of May and will finish in Adelaide on July the 3rd. She's been out there for 29 days already and has a goal to raise $80,000 for Hutt Street Centre, Orange Sky Australia, Catherine House and Fred's Van, but she's only raised $16,000 so far. Loads of people would have driven past her this month. She's tall with long dark hair. Sometimes she has her two dogs with her out there, but most of the time they're in the support car. She is deaf, as I said, but loves it when people beep and honk and wave. As she says, it's a bit lonely out there all day. Homelessness and shortage of affordable housing is something that's happening in rural areas too, not just city places, and my mum is very keen to break down the myths about homelessness. It's something that can happen to anyone. She also likes to encourage kindness and empathy at all times, saying that you never know the journey someone has travelled before you meet. She has a website at www.pupandgirl.com. But Frankie doesn't tell us his mum's name, it's just mum. Like when I was introduced to Paul Keating down in Parliament House in the late 90s and... Uh, Ian Kiernan introduced me and I had my mother with me and I said, uh, oh, day, nice to meet you, this is my mum. And he said, oh, hello, mum, and burst out laughing. Yeah, Frankie forgot. From our weatherman, Richard Whittaker, northwest cloud bands are the story. Ian, there are large, elongated masses of cloud that stream across the continent from northwest to southeast and are important sources of inland rain for Australia. They are the result of complex interaction between warm sea surface temperatures and upper wind patterns, particularly jet streams. For a large part of Western and Central Australia, over 60% of the April-October rainfall is contributed by northwest cloud bands that form to the south of Indonesia before streaming in from the northwest to form a cloud conveyor belt, if you like, that can be between 3,000 and 8,000 kilometres long. 
When a northwest cloud band interacts with a cold frontal system over southern areas of Australia, significant inland rain can result. The Bureau's rainfall prediction shows a well-developed northwest cloud band developing over Western Australia on Monday, that's tomorrow, and this is then expected to stream across South Australia, the Northern Territory and New South Wales on Tuesday and Wednesday. Some rainfall totals in excess of 25 mils are likely for parts of the Territory during this time. Eliza's in Perish. Good morning, Eliza. Good morning, Macca. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. What's happening? You're in Perisher. Uh, yes, I am in Perisher. And uh, last night it snowed 17 centimetres. It was absolutely dumping. <laughs> and you're down there to take all this in, Eliza? Yes, I am. Well, tell us all about it. Tell us all about it. You're a good skier? Yep, I'm pretty good. I started skiing when I was very young, so... There you go. Well, that's uh, that's lovely. Um, lots of people down there? Uh, yes, it's very busy today. And uh, there are a few lifts open at Blue Cow, but not very many because everything's on wind hold, which is a shame because uh, well, I really want to go see Guthaga, but that's the place where it gets most windy, which is a shame. Everything's on wind hold. See, for us non-skiers, I don't know any of this jargon, Eliza. You'll have to tell us. That means it's blowing a gale, is it? Is that the story? Yeah. Uh, no good skiing in the in the wind. Very cold, apart from anything else. It's pretty cold because if the wind is uh, uh, blowing against you, then uh, it's not very fun because you can't go very fast, and that's very annoying yeah. for people like us. And you're 11 years old, Eliza. Yes, I am 11. I just turned 11. And how long have you been skiing? Um, since I was one. <laughs> That's not true. You can't go skiing at one. That's not allowed. I think there must be a law against that. My Oh, I started skiing as soon as I could walk and for the uh, first skiing for the first skiing year I was skiing between dad's legs, so <laughs> Well, you're a little champion. I'd love to talk to you more. We've got the news coming up, but lovely to talk to you, Eliza. And uh yeah, you keep in touch, okay? Okay. I'll come down, you can teach me how to snow. Come stay with me, Macca. I will do, Eliza. I will do. Good on you. Right, bye, Macca. H- Hooroo. Yes, Chris. How are you, bud? Good, thank you. Yeah. I'm just uh, sitting in Port Hedland at the moment, looking out across at the one of the big ore freighters about to depart with a couple of hundred thousand tons of iron ore. Wow. And I-, I love Hedland. I- Man, I was just contemplating, you know, some of the stuff you had on this morning, the vastness of this place, the magnitude of things we do, you know. This port here sends over 500 million tonnes of ore every year overseas, and it's just phenomenal. You know, we, we, I was listening to your, um, your, your song about the Murray and thought, my God, you know, what a, a vast river that is, and how I used to go up and sit by it and suck all the problems away it just has that magical quality of being able to drag the blues away from you and then you know sitting here in in headland uh part of the pilbara uh i often tell people the pilbara is two and a half times the size of the united kingdom or about the size of france and uh, <laughs> you know listening to that guy talk to the doctor talk about queensland and the the amount of uh, kilometers you drive over there to get from a to b you know, it's just a, just a, 
mind-boggling, the vastness of this place. And then little little Eliza, Eliza rings from Parish and tells me breathlessly we've had 17 centimetres of snow over the night, Ian, here in, here in <laughs> where was she, Parisher or somewhere? Or, and then she yeah. said, what she call it? A wind out. Um, it's a wind out here because you can't go on the thing because there's wind. There's a lot of wind down there. Too much wind, yeah. Well, we haven't had a lot of snow in Headland. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a beautiful morning and... Uh, yeah, just great to be alive. What do you What do you do, Chris? I work in Aboriginal health, Macca. Uh-huh. Um, so you know, another one of those vastness stories. We set uh, this Aboriginal Health Alliance not not for profit up about uh, two years ago, and we were trying to get bank accounts organised with the Commonwealth Bank, dealing with with the branch in Sydney, across on the eastern seaboard, uh, and trying to get d- directors' signatures on signatures on paper. And, you know, they said, they said to me, listen, just get your uh, your directors to pop into the local branch of the Commonwealth. Um, and I said, well, that ain't that easy. These guys are 900 kilometres away in the Western Desert. And uh, there is no local branch in Headland. The nearest, well, there is a, a branch, but it's uh, it's got very limited opening hours. And uh, Newman's probably their closest spot, and there's no Commonwealth Bank in Newman, so... You know, it took months to get this bank account established. It's just crazy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you'd think things would be easier, but um, they are definitely not. So, Chris, uh, you've you've lived in Headland or you've moved there to work? Yeah, I lived in uh, Caratha and Dampier for... Uh, oh, I moved up there in 2007 and lived there until about two years ago. And... Uh, it's time to retire, Macker. I'm 67. I thought I'd just go and play a bit more golf. And then I got a call from some buddies uh, who said they wanted to um, set up a peak organisation for the Aboriginal medical services in the Pilbara. Uh, and they wanted me to uh, apply for the job. So I did. And uh, I got it. And uh, I'm back, back working harder than I ever had. But uh, at a job I absolutely love. Takes me all over the Pilbara to some amazing places. I was out at Jigalong last week and oh, right. spent most of the week in Newman. Uh, just phenomenal country, man. It is, and it's and it's Australia and all those places like Jigalong and Christmas Creek and where wherever you. They're just yeah, it's part of us, and hopefully many of us will get a chance to go to those places because. It's, well, I just urge people to do that, Macca. You know, I. I grew up, well, I spent a lot of time in Shepparton, so I've effectively come from the food bowl to the dust bowl. But, you know, those uh, a lot of the people back there really leave their town. You know, they might they might go up to Echuca or down to Melbourne, and that's a big trip. And, uh, you know, you just got to open your eyes and get out there and see some of what this country's got to offer because it's just mind-blowing. Chris, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, mate. I'd love to do a program in Headland. I really would. I love Port Headland. I love the colour. It's so red. And the, yeah. when you look over the road, and there's these huge ships just sitting there, and it's well, I'm looking. I'm looking at the Cape Eternity right now. There's a tug just gone by, towing in a barge, and I'm looking across at the Cape Eternity, which obviously has they haven't started filling yet because it's it's uh, floating way high. Above. Floating high. Yeah. But the uh, the tide's right down, so they'll probably. Uh, I think it takes about a day to fill one of these things. I think it's a 24-hour operation. Um, uh, yeah, so, look, maybe, yeah, look, and if you ever do come up, um, uh, you got my number? Yep. Uh, give me a call and uh, we'll organise a tour. Chris, I'd love to. We will. We will. Nice to talk to you, mate.
Good on you, mate. Bye. See, see you. Bye. Hello, Mega. Yep. Athel McQueen, Cleo. How are you, mate? Former heavyweight champion of Australia. G'day, Athel. Good, mate. Mega, I just wanted to let you know, and your listeners, uh, boxing legend, Rocky Gattaleri, took the count of 10. I, on Friday. I read that, yes. Uh, yeah. Rocky, what a man, eh? What a man. Yeah. He really, he he was uh, larger than life, wasn't he, when he yeah. was fighting? Yeah, we toured in six, 1960 in Adelaide. He won the uh, right to go to the Rome Olympics, which he did do, uh, and he boxed on there. He went out in the second round of the competition there. But uh, we went down to Sydney 2000, Gloria and I, and uh, went to a function, and we sat with Rocky and his two lovely daughters. And what a night we had. He was a party boy and loved the party. So they're not having a big wake, they're having a party. So that's good, isn't it? I'll say, I'll say, yes. I, who did I speak to last? Was it last week or the week before the boxing bloke, Kel? Um, I can't remember. Bob, Bob someone. Oh, I just didn't catch his other name, but it was Bob. Oh, Bobby Christensen, that's right. Yes, uh, yeah, did, yeah. Did you know him? Yeah, yeah. He was a, I think he was a main event fighter, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I'll have to stop ringing you up because I rang you up when Lionel Rose went and then Johnny Femish on now, Rocky Gattaleri, and I promise you I won't ring him when it's my turn. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, Athel, Just great imagine them three getting together up there. Up there. Yeah, hey? I'll say, I'll say. Have you been out to um, Korokai lately? No, I've spoke to a few people and they can't get over the day that you put up there at Korokai and they're still talking about it, so... That's good, isn't it? It was a lovely... It's just a shame you can't... I know you can't get around them all, but uh, it just put them in a different light of, you know... It was for great. The day. It, was, it a... was a terrific day. It was. Good on you, Athol. Great to talk, okay. mate. Okay. Good. Thanks, Maker. See you, mate. Bye. And lots of letters. I'm in my Oakland kitchen listening to Australia All Over, getting on with some weekend baking, says Dr. Carolyn Cole. I have a recipe for peanut biscuits that was my mum's and has been a favourite for the 50-odd years I've been making cakes and biscuits. I love the recipe as it's mixed all in a saucepan. Melt the butter, add the sugar, cool, then add all other ingredients into the pan. The recipe is easily adapted to choc chip, double choc, fruit and nut, and freezing the cooked biscuits means... There's always a packet of homemade deliciousness on hand. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Homemade deliciousness. Anyway, you see, with the price of eating out and all that sort of thing, you're much better off if you can and you've got time to eat at home and cook at home. It's twice as good. Carolyn continues, As a youngster, I remember Saturday was baking day. Newspaper would cover our pink laminex table and the morning would be spent baking biscuits, cakes and treats that would go to the netball trading table. Toffees in patty pans, spuds, an overly sweet mix of icing sugar, coconut rolled in cocoa and, of course, sugared almonds. There were families that made toffee apples and marshmallows. I even remember Mrs Davis's marshmallow rabbits for Easter. An absolute treat. I continue to be surprised by the reactions of people to homemade baking, as if it's difficult and rare. I'm grateful that my mum showed me how to bake. 
and I find baking to be one of the few activities that can be completed within a very short time, producing results that make people smile. Deliciousness. We had a get-together at work yesterday to share some professional learning, and as one person had a birthday, a second coming up, I took in a fairy blow-away sponge cake. This has always been our birthday cake. None of the infamous Women's Weekly's kids' birthday cakes, trains and dinosaurs, and excessively coloured icing with lollies as decorations. I have consistently stuck with a sponge. As my sister was calling in for afternoon tea, I whipped up some scones. I think the best scones I've ever tasted were in hay on a trip from Adelaide to Canberra about 25 years ago. The newly renovated Bishop's Residence in Hay had its launch, and the local ladies served Devonshire tea as part of this. The residence, around 100 years old, was carefully designed to accommodate the hot summers of the Hay Plains. The home was constructed with double corrugated iron walls, insulated with sawdust, and the house had a central corridor functioning as a breezeway and high ceilings. The house had verandas all round. It was an oasis on the trip. And I can still taste the scones and homemade jam. That's a lovely building in Hay. I talked to some people about that all back in the 80s, even when it was being refurbed. Anyway, Carolyn concludes, for those who don't bake but would like to, all you need is a handful of reliable recipes and a bit of practice. I don't make anything complicated and use the kinds of recipes found in CWA cookbooks. I remember Mum's calendar of cakes and calendar of puddings, one for every day of the year and intended to be tasty while still straightforward to make. Hopefully, you've been able to sneak in a morning snack with your cuppa, Ian. Perhaps you can go home and whip up some cupcakes for afternoon tea. With best wishes, Carolyn. Carolyn, that's a, that's a little ripper. We'll have to send Carolyn a T-shirt or something like that. And this from overseas, it's from a bloke called Irv. Irv Ambler, listening in Peru, Maine, in the United States. And he says, I've been listening to you and Australia all over since 2007. I discovered you while listening on shortwave, which doesn't exist now. I've long dedicated my Saturday Arvos to staying home to listen. Each show is warm, homey, creative and filled with very interesting people who call in from all over the world. It's quite unique in today's radio world. Gardening is one of my passions and I grow many vegetables, heirloom tomatoes and many more plants. I have about 60 houseplants which are indoors over winter and I bring them back outside in May. Grown, that takes about four hours. My fiancée Celia and I go boating with my 20-foot fibreglass runabout boat and a 90-horsepower mercury outboard. We cruise and explore all the beautiful western main lakes surrounded by mountains. I snow and water ski and swim and fish a little. And when I received the Australia All Over T-shirt, because we had to send him a T-shirt, he asked for a T-shirt, late last February, I was just gobsmacked. I knew that I'd have to come up with a unique photo of me wearing it for you. And being a photographer, I had to create something different. So I thought about just what I could do. So on a clear blue sky day, Celia and I went out to our local ski area, Black Mountain in Rumford, Maine, for my photo shoot. Now, dear listeners, picture this. It was a clear blue sky day in early March... March is still full winter here in Maine. It was cold, clear, windy, cold, minus 7.7 degrees. And Irv, that's me, is wearing swim shorts on a snowy ski hill. Celia is snapping the photos as I smile, although it was more of a grimace where I was getting my cold, chattering teeth trying to smile. It was frigid cold, but we had shot about half a dozen photos before I had to put on my warm clothes. I hope you like it, and I truly cherish the T-shirt. Irv, we love it. And we're putting it up on our Facebook site so people can see the links that some people go to just to wear the Australia All Over T-shirt. Thanks, mate. Irv in Peru, Western Maine. P.S. He says, it really makes my week, your program, and I feel you are family to me. 
truly. Well, that's what we feel about you, the listeners. Well, nearly all of them. Uh, thank you very much. And we get lots of mail from overseas, and this is from Heather. Heather feels she says, any chance you could play that beautiful song sung by Andrew Mahobrak that starts down dusty roads? It would be so wonderful if we could hear it. I understand if you can't get to it. I'm an Aussie living in Franklin, Tennessee, 20 miles south of Nashville. I listen every Sunday morning. Helps with the homesickness, which doesn't diminish even after 27 years. Love the program. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.